0: Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally, starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ron Did you know that on average, it takes up to five years for a woman struggling with the symptoms of an autoimmune disease to get an accurate diagnosis? Women with Hashimoto's symptoms, for example, often fall through the cracks, sometimes suffering for years with brain fog, fatigue, weight gain, inability to lose weight, depression, and anxiety, and sometimes serious hormonal challenges like infertility or recurrent miscarriages before getting properly diagnosed and treated. And for women with endometriosis, just for example, a shocking 9.3 years of pain and other symptoms on average before a diagnosis is made. It doesn't end there. At least 5,000 more women die of heart attacks in the hospital each year than men. Let me make that even more clear. Women already in the hospital who then report heart attack symptoms are more likely to die of a heart attack than men in the same situation. Why? We're more likely to be told it's anxiety or stress, and we're more likely to be given a sleep, anxiety, or pain medication, whereas men are more likely to, guess what? Receive an appropriate cardiac workup. Thousands of women have written to me with stories not just of being medically dismissed, but medically mistreated, to the extent that I feel it's time for a hashtag for medical abuse, sort of like hashtag MeTooMedical. Just for example, recently, a Latina woman told me, upon hearing she was having chest pain, that her doctor told her she was a hysterical Cuban woman. Another woman told me, regarding her weight, that her doctor told her that if she just did a better job of controlling her fork-to-mouth problem, she'd lose that weight. In fact, she had severe and undiagnosed Hashimoto's, and the first woman, who was a lovely and passionate Cuban woman, was actually having a cardiac event. And when I sent a lovely woman in whose breast I found a highly suspicious breast lump during her initial prenatal care to an obstetrician for a breast exam and possible referral to a breast surgeon for evaluation, check this out. The day after the appointment, my patient told me that her doctor never even asked her why she was in the office, despite my clear referral note, which the doctor had not read. Thus, the doctor didn't do a complete exam, so she never knew about the breast lump and never even found it. The woman who was not a native English speaker and was very polite told me the OB seemed so stressed and busy that I didn't want to bother her with my symptoms. So I called the OB and explained what she'd missed. And when my patient went in the next day, in fact, my five months pregnant patient was found to have a stage four breast malignancy that could have been entirely missed otherwise. And don't even get me started on the stories I've heard from women in labor during my years as a midwife or I've witnessed during my own medical training of the mistreatment and abuses that can happen. The medical bias against women is well established in the medical literature. It's not something that we're just experiencing. It's proven to be happening far and wide. Our historically paternalistic medical model has been statistically shown to dismiss and ignore women's voices and also to create an environment in which we feel uncomfortable speaking up because we're concerned that we would be bothering the doctor or seem to be complaining, demanding, or difficult. In fact, those words, complaining, demanding, and difficult, are used by healthcare providers to describe women who have who ask to have their needs met and their symptoms properly worked up. It's also been demonstrated in the medical literature that as women, we too have internalized our quote unquote place in the medical structure. We don't wanna be perceived as difficult, complaining or unappreciative. We want to be liked by our medical providers. So to fulfill our good girl role, we change our behaviors and communication styles in medical appointments at the expense of speaking up to the full extent of our symptoms and concerns. And sometimes it's not even that we're trying to be the good girl. Sometimes we're just trying to be heard. And the medical perception is that women who are overly demanding or assertive are difficult and women who are overly expressive of our symptoms are complaining or whining. Speaking up to our doctors or anyone in authority for that matter can be really hard. But it's critically important that we become our own healthcare advocates. And that starts with, guess what? Being able to speak up. Yet there's a reason we're not speaking up. First, the hurried structure of most medical appointments really leaves very little time for us to get to our own agenda. And a busy doctor who seems harried isn't going to create a feeling that he or she is receptive to what we have to say. And more insidiously, as women, we're programmed to not appear complaining demanding, or disrespectful. If you have kept quiet in a medical appointment, please don't feel ashamed. It's happened to most women at some time, and it continues to happen to most women on a daily basis. Learning to speak up for ourselves is much harder than speaking out against a cause. It goes against the grain that we've been taught to follow, and it can feel really uncomfortable. But get uncomfortable we must if we're going to protect ourselves and change a system that's been long in need of an overhaul. Not speaking up can pose serious danger to our health and to our lives. Take Serena Williams' recent birth experience. One of the best known athletes in the world had to walk up to her doctors and tell them how to test her appropriately for blood clots after she'd given birth to her baby. And she'd been dismissed by a nurse as simply needing more pain medication for her symptoms. Had Serena not demanded that the doctors run the correct tests to find these potentially fatal blood clots that had in fact formed in her lungs, she might have died. And the sad reality is that so many women in similar situations don't make it out to the other side, because for whatever reason, they weren't able to speak up, or if they did, they weren't heard. And this is particularly true for women of color. Serena knew she almost died of similar blood clots in 2011, and she brought out her fierce mama bear self to save her own life. This is so endemic in our culture that it's appearing on a television show. In a recent episode of Grey's Anatomy, the character Miranda Bailey, who happens to be an African-American woman and chief of surgery at a major, of course, fictional hospital in Seattle, almost dies because a series of male doctors didn't take her heart attack symptoms seriously. In fact, they assume because of her history of OCD that's appeared at other times in in the show and appears in her medical record in the show, that her mental health issues were suffering. And they called a psychiatric consult on her, directly demonstrating the way that medicine to this day dangerously assumes that we as women are hysterical and that our symptoms are all in our heads. It's just now that instead of saying it's all in our heads, we say things like depression or anxiety or mental health challenges, and again, misses and dismisses potentially life-threatening disease. I won't give the show away, but even if you never watch Grey's Anatomy, check out that episode. Power dynamics can also show up in unexpected places. There's a tremendous tendency in all fields to identify with the oppressor, to mimic behaviors either because they are so culturally ingrained that we don't know we're doing it, or to emulate the dominant and expected model in hopes of being perceived as legitimate and accepted. It's why we see all manners of alternative practitioners putting on white coats for their website banners and in advertisements for their programs and products, even when they themselves have absolutely no medical credential. And as an aside, I have another article on why I personally actually refuse to wear a white coat. The risk and reality is that the dominator medical model can and does show up and rear its ugly head even in functional medicine, naturopathic and other offices. It might come in the form of dismissing your actual medical concerns and giving you an alternative diagnosis. I can't tell you, for example, how many women I've seen who actually had anemia or an autoimmune disease and were told by their integrative or functional or other practitioner that they had adrenal fatigue only to be put on a boatload of expensive supplements without ever being properly tested for a thyroid, adrenal or any other medical problem. I've also seen women who were essentially blamed for their medical problems in these kind of settings because of their negative spiritual beliefs or negative mental attitudes. And hey, that's still the spiritual way of saying it's all in our heads. And it's not just men dismissing women, although that's still a big part of the problem due to the power dynamics and lack of appropriate understanding of women's unique needs. In Serena Williams' case, for example, it was apparently a nurse who was a woman who dismissed her, not a doctor. And in the case of my pregnant patient with breast cancer, it was a woman OB. It's a problem inherent in a medical model that sees the care provider as the one with authority and power over and the patient as subordinate, weak, and ignorant. And just like women have had to emulate power structure behaviors in so many other settings, it happens in medicine. So we see nurses who are women, we see doctors who are women doing the same power dynamics because it's what appeared as the model in the training programs that they went through. If you too have been dismissed, dissed, or mistreated, while trying to get medical help, I personally know how painful and frustrating this can be and how it may keep you from getting the medical help you need in the future. I also know that as women, the only way we can take charge of our health is to become the CEO of our own healthcare. And I know it's hard if you're feeling tired and feel like you can barely muster the strength. But what I will tell you is statistically, it's women who are struggling with invisible illnesses, the kind that make you feel tired and make you feel terrible and make you feel like you're just crumbling on the inside, but on the surface, you look fine to other people that are the women who are most likely to be dismissed and disrespected and talked about like, oh, it's that patient, the one who's looks really fine, but she says she has all these problems going on. So it's especially important for us, if any of us are struggling with those kind of medical symptoms that are often unseen to especially become empowered, even if you are tired, even if you are struggling to speak up for yourself. What I'm about to share with you are my top tips for learning to speak up and overcome the gender bias that's inherent in medicine. Ideally, the goal is to have a connected and collaborative discussion with your doctor or whoever your provider is that may be in that power dynamic with you. My hope is that these tips can help you get the health care that you need when you need it, improve your relationship with your care providers, or if you just can't, bolster your courage to find another. Nobody should feel they can't tell their care provider why they came in for a medical appointment, and nobody should ever leave a medical appointment feeling dismissed, ignored, overlooked, disrespected, unheard, or disappointed. So here are my top six tips that I'm gonna share with you. One is to schedule a symptom-specific appointment. This means don't tack your concerns about fatigue, brain fog, weight loss, resistance, or other symptoms onto the end of an appointment for a pap smear or an I think I have the flu visit, or even your annual exam. Schedule an appointment specifically to discuss those very specific concerns. Along with it, your ideas, your healthcare needs, and any requests that you might have. Now, this may seem like a burden because it's going to cost you to have that appointment both in time and copay or out-of-pocket pay if that's the structure that you're in. But I can tell you Trying to fit things in to an appointment where your doctor is obligated to sort of fill out a checklist of the questions that they're supposed to ask in order to make sure that you're healthy and make sure that they're legally protected can leave very little time and very little bandwidth. And setting up this separate appointment is a really effective way to have that time carved out to just cover your most pressing concerns. Number two is learn to be a client, not a patient. This is really important. It's a reframe of how we think of ourselves. Think about it this way. If you were hiring an interior decorator for your house and they only do country French, but you're hiring them to do contemporary, you're hiring the wrong decorator Similarly, if you go to a decorator who says, I do all kinds of decor and you want contemporary and they keep showing you country French or like some Italian provincial or something else, you know, uh, shabby chic, then you would leave that decorator. You're not gonna give that decorator a chunk of change for their services and also buy the furniture that they're suggesting so you would find someone else. But we don't think about our doctors that way. We think about our doctors as somebody that has power over us and that once we're in that relationship, we have to stick to it and we can't say, yeah, I'm not giving you money or no, I'm not following that suggestion because it doesn't resonate with me. So make sure that you're working with someone ideally who is in alignment with your values, and even if their values are different or their taste, if you want to say, you know, in in design is different, they're going to respect yours and help you find your tools and decor that's appropriate for your taste. Now, if you hire a really good designer and they support your taste, even if they have different tastes, and then you say to your designer, I want to put a king size bed in my New York city, uh, you know, 30 by 30 square foot apartment. You do want a good designer to say to you, I don't think that's a really safe idea because I don't think that's going to fit there. I don't think that's going to work. Here are the reasons I can demonstrate to you with measurements that that is not your best option. So you you don't necessarily want someone who agrees with every single thing you say. If there's something that they have information on, we want to be receptive to that, right? Because we're going to them because they have a certain level of expertise. And that's where it becomes creating a mutually respectful relationship, but that has to include that person being respectful of you and your wishes. Point three is to prepare for your appointment. This may seem really silly, but it can go such a long way to getting yourself heard, especially if you're feeling nervous or anxious or vulnerable because you have something going on that you're worried about, which is why you're probably going to the doctor. So before the appointment, think through what you're asking for and why, exactly what you'd like help with, and write down all your key symptoms, your key questions, and any information that you've heard that you'd like to discuss, like maybe you heard about a specific test or a specific supplement or a specific approach. Write it all down very neatly so it's easy for you to read or type it up and print it out because there's nothing worse than writing down your ideas and then not being able to read your handwriting, which has certainly happened to me before. I've gone to conferences and been scrawling out notes really fast and then I get home and I'm like, what did I write? That didn't used to happen before I was a doctor. It is actually true that becoming a doctor changes your handwriting. Write all your ideas down either in a notebook or on index cards, make sure to prioritize the key points that you want to cover. Because if you have 15 key points and you're only set up for a 20 or 40 minute appointment, you might not realistically have time to get all of those answered, especially if you are in an active, healthy dialogue with your provider and they're giving you thorough answers. So make sure to organize them by bullet point, put your top ones at the top or highlight the ones that you absolutely make sure that you want to get covered. And having this will keep you much more calm and centered and focused. It also makes you look prepared and organized, which is really helpful that you've, you've given some thought to this and you've done your research. If you get into the doctor's appointment, don't feel you know geeky or weird. And it's totally cool to be geeky. Like I'm a super geek, just, just for the record. It, it doesn't, It doesn't matter what your doctor thinks of you, first of all, but second of all, sitting down and saying to your doctor, I get really nervous when I come to the doctor's appointment. So I've prepared some notes to make sure that I am able to discuss with you the important things that I feel like are so important for me to discuss today. If you have a decent doctor, they're going to be understanding of that. If not, well, there is a word that starts with A and ends with whole that I'm not going to say in case your kids are listening but let's just say it might be time to move on to someone else if they make you feel bad for bringing notes with you. Okay. The next thing, point four is to manage your care providers possible reactions. Okay. I said, it doesn't really matter what your doctor thinks of you, but that's not entirely true because how a doctor thinks of a patient has been well demonstrated in the medical literature to affect how we treat our patients. And this is partly why this medical bias against women exists because Women have historically been considered more complainy, more whiny, more exaggerating. I mean, in the 1800s, even into the early 1900s, women were described as manipulative and even having symptoms to be manipulative, either sexually or to get something they wanted at home to get diagnosed with them. It's like so complicated, the history of medicine and how even those old beliefs about women are still impacting us today. So it is actually true that how you appear might impact how your doctor treats you. So what you wanna do is be able to know that and manage that. I just finished reading an entire medical journal article that talks about how women with chronic pain are facing a lot of confusion about how they should be in the doctor's office because if they go in looking too put together and acting too articulate or even strong, then they're more likely to be dismissed. The doctors more likely to think, well, she had enough strength or, you know, if it's fatigue, chronic fatigue, she had enough energy to get dressed and put on her makeup. And she certainly seems forceful enough, so she can't be that sick or that uncomfortable. And on the other hand, women have actually changed their behavior to appear even more sick and more exhausted because they felt that was the only way they were going to get their doctor to hear them. And then it can seem to the doctor that they totally don't have it together and then they get dismissed. So it's really complicated stuff going on. So knowing that and trying to just sort of be yourself, be prepared, have an appointment set up, and then at the appointment, let your doctor know that you respect her or his training and credentials and appreciate her knowledge and also let her know that you're wanting to learn to become the CEO of your health and be a more active partner in your own healthcare. Yes, you are totally stroking an ego here, but doctors are trained to feel that we are the top 2% of educated people in the country. I'm not saying that as a joke. When I was in the first few weeks of my med school orientation, they told us literally when I was at Yale, you are the top 2% of intellects in the world. Like this was no joke. And we would jokingly think, well, like, who's the 1%? Like, is that Harvard? Is that, you know, Wash you? But we were literally told that. We're also taught that we're supposed to know the answers. And a lot of the people who become doctors are already kind of perfectionist people and don't do really well with uncertainty, not knowing. And not being able to do what we're supposed to do, which is fix your problem. This actually also shows up in the medical literature as research that that when doctors have patients who come in, particularly women, who are presenting with some of the vague, odd symptoms that they're not accustomed to being able to diagnose, like chronic fatigue or Hashimoto's, things that have often been dismissed or considered to be like over-diagnosed by the alternative community, then doctors might be a little bit more dismissive about it, especially if they don't know how to help you. So stroke the ego a little bit. I know that sounds terrible, but I can tell you it can make a huge difference in your medical encounter to come in more soft and more Cooperative and congenial and receptive than coming in like overtly with, you know, your axes drawn and, you know, the swords ready to go, you know, the arguments ablazing. It can just make the relationship a lot easier. So it can seem obsequious, but it can be really, really effective. And just think about managing that preemptively. You know, I don't want you to change who you are, but just sort of keep that in the back of your mind that you're reading the situation and working with the situation. Okay, number five is to bring resources with you. If, for example, your doctor won't order lab tests for, like, let's say you're pretty sure you have Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism, and you go in and your doctor will only order a TSH, but you've learned, for example, maybe in my book or on my website, that it's really important also to have a free T3 and a free T4 and an anti-TPO antibodies then it can be really helpful to bring some research resources with you. So I encourage people, for example, to bring the Adrenal Thyroid Revolution references. There's online with the sort of uh, extra assets that you can get with the book through my website, an entire document of over 500 medical references. You can bring that document, print it out, It's not that long, bring it to your doctor's appointment or bring the book or find a couple of medical articles that are referenced at the end of one of my blogs. And you can do that with other people who write books and have articles too, or you can do your own research on something called Google Scholar. So Google Scholar is available to everyone and you can simply put in something like thyroid underdiagnosed or Best Thyroid Labs, and it'll come up with a couple of medical journal articles, and you can just read the abstract on the cover and just print out that one page and say to your doctor, hey, here's something I found that I think might be really helpful in explaining why I want this done. If you're a medical professional already, of course, it can be easier. But honestly, even when you're a medical professional, and if I ever have to go to the doctor for something, I feel vulnerable just like everyone else does. I have more information and I tend to be a little bit of a fighter when it comes to certain things because I've been around that block with becoming a doctor and I can call out what's you know what's right and wrong because I have that information. But one can still feel really vulnerable. So even if you're a health professional, don't go in assuming because you know the information, you're going to feel confident on the spot. It still can, or that your doctor is going to go along with you. So still bring some resources with you that can be really helpful. And, you know, in this day and time, when doctors have actually said things to women, like, where did you get your medical degree, Dr. Google? You know, I would say that that's a firing offense. If a doctor says that to you, oh, so you got this on Dr. Google, is that what you think you can get your medical care from? That's abusive language and that should be somebody in my personal opinion that you just you don't you just get up and you leave the appointment. I mean, you say thank you, no thank you. I'm going to put my clothes on unless there's some absolute medical emergency reason you have to be there. There are just some things that shouldn't be tolerated anymore that have been tolerated for way too long. Okay, my last point for you of the 6 points is to bring a friend or a loved one with you preferably another woman. Having another woman by your side, especially someone who's a solid friend, can help avoid any power dynamics between a male doctor and a male advocate. So what I've seen happen before, and I saw this a lot when I was a medical student and a medical intern, because you can, you're a little bit more of a fly on the wall sometimes watching what's happening, is that a woman could come in for a medical appointment with, let's say, her boyfriend or her husband and then all of a sudden, you know, you got this bro thing going on between the male doctor and the male patient. I mean, the the male advocate, or you can get weird flirty dynamics between, you know, like the male person and the female person. It just doesn't always work well having a woman with you who you trust, but here's the thing. Not your sister, not your mother, And I would generally say not your daughter, unless you're much older and your daughter is like a doctor or something, because for the most part, moms and sisters are really going to worry about us. And so in the moment they might say, oh, well, maybe you should just do what the doctor is saying. And moms and sisters of a certain age and generation are more likely to say, oh, honey, just do what the doctor says, right? Because that's how they were brought up to not question authority, which is part of how the medical establishment gotten away with it for so long we're vulnerable they're in power and we're taught to say whatever you say i mean who who was ever taught growing up to 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 say to your doctor yeah no not so much i don't think so so bring an advocate with you um, but make sure it's not someone who's too close for comfort unless they're just like super badass and you can trust them your advocate can also be someone who can take notes for you and help you stay on track with your questions or your script that you brought. They can help you with that script. You can discuss beforehand what you want to get out of the medical encounter. And keep in mind, there's strength in numbers. If you can't find someone to bring with you, then I highly suggest that you bring Wonder Woman. And I'm going to do an upcoming podcast really soon on what I mean by bringing Wonder Woman with you. So that's a little bit of uh, a cliffhanger or bring your own version of like Beyonce has Sasha Fierce, right? Sasha Fierce was Beyonce's or Queen Bey, her alter ego. When she needed to channel a little bit more of a powerful, fiercer energy than her own personality might have been, she had this character that she would call up and that character was Sasha Fierce. Mine is really funny. It's a name that my girls gave me when I was in my medical training and it's liquid magma. They were like, mom, you, and all magma is liquid. That's the hilarious thing, but it's liquid magma. Like, Mom, you are like that hot, fiery, powerful stuff that comes out of a volcano. So before I go on stage, before I have to muster that kind of energy... I get in my Wonder Woman thing that I'm going to share with you about really soon in an upcoming episode, and I channel that liquid magma. I just imagine I am like Queen Pele, the fire goddess coming out of that volcano. So here's the thing. Sometimes no matter what you do, you know, you got your Wonder Woman badass self happening, you know, your your own version of Sasha Fierce, your your own liquid magma. And it's still just not happening. You're not able to have an honest conversation with your doctor. It might be that your doctor's not listening. It might be that your doctor's condescending. It might be that your doctor continues to deny your own knowledge about what's going on in your body. For example, your symptoms and your request for appropriate testing. And unless he or she has a reasonable explanation and can back up with studies why that testing is inappropriate, it's important for your provider to listen to you. It might be time to part ways. You should be able to have mutually respectful conversations with your care provider to get the answers you're seeking, to not feel hurried and rushed, and to be able to fully explore your concerns. Honestly, you shouldn't be going into the doctor's office with endometriosis pain and saying, oh yeah, it hurts a little bit once in a while. When you feel like you've got steak knives in your abdomen, you shouldn't have to say, yeah, I'm a little tired when you can't get out of bed because you might have Hashimoto's, right? Getting the point here, we have to be able to speak the extent of our truth without feeling like we're going to be made to feel badly for it. If you can't do that, then it's important to figure out where there's an obstacle in your own being unable to speak up because of perceived power differences. Maybe you're stuck in being a good girl. Maybe you're stuck in this idea that you can't speak up to authority Or, and more likely, the reality is, is that you're in a situation where you can't speak up. I mean, who can speak up to their doctor when they're buck naked with their legs up in stirrups, spread eagle, and some man or woman down there in your stuff, it's really hard to speak up and say, you know what, that hurts, or you know what, I'm really uncomfortable with what you just said, and we're going to stop right here and right now. So, you know, the situation is really important. So, if you need to speak up, it's really important to speak up possibly before you get your clothes off or after you get your clothes on or get that Sasha Fierce going. I mean, if something is happening in the moment, you've got to be able to say, heck no, man, or heck no, ma'am, this is not happening. And I've seen women do it, I've done it, it can be done. And it can be a real game changer for you in your for the rest of your life to be able to have that moment of clarity where you go from good girl to your own Sasha Fierce. And then there is the very good chance that your doctor is operating out of, not operating like in a surgery, but behaving out of old medical biases that he or she might not know and might not know they're doing. And so if you can kindly and gently be a light in the darkness, and rather than just firing your doctor, actually educate him or her and give him or her a chance to learn and grow, that is a beautiful thing. But if you can't, sometimes you have to do the hard work of breaking up with your doctor. Again, I'm going to say this again, you deserve to be respected. If your doctor or any practitioner, naturopath, functional medicine person, you know, gitchy goomy midwife from the backwater who's got crystals and smudge, If anyone is making you feel small, invisible, unheard, or insecure, or if you have to fight to get what you need, that's not good medicine, and it's probably best for you to find another provider. All right, ladies, if you like what you're hearing, if you think what you're hearing could be a game changer for another woman out there on the planet, please take a second, go to iTunes, drop a like, drop a comment because that is going to elevate this podcast. So hopefully not just thousands and tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands of more women hear this message. And if you liked what you heard and you're wondering what my Wonder Woman story is, come on back for the upcoming episode of Natural MD Radio and I'll fill you in. Talk to you soon, ladies.